Welcome to the I Love Sleep Podcast. Today, we are going to be continuing our story of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. It did not take long before a young girl came to the spot. She seemed to be quite shocked, but only for a moment. Then she fetched some others, and the mermaid saw how the prince recovered, and that he smiled to all of those around him. But not out for her, for he did not know that she had saved him. She felt so sad, and when she was led into the large building, she dived sorrowfully down into the water and sought her way home to her father's palace. She had always been quiet and thoughtful, but now she was even more so. Her sisters asked her what she had seen the first time up above. But she did not tell them anything. Many an evening and morning, she rose up to the spot where she had left the prince. She saw how the fruit in the garden ripened and was picked. She saw how the snow melted on the high mountains, but she did not see the prince, and therefore she was always sad when she returned home. Her only consolation was to sit in the little garden and embrace the beautiful marble statue that looked like the prince. But she did not tend to her flowers; they grew as in a wilderness, out over the paths, and with their long stems and leaves in among the branches, so that it became quite dark. Finally, she couldn't bear it any longer and told one of her sisters, and soon all of them had got to hear it. But only her sisters and a couple of other mermaids, who only told their closest friends. One of them knew the identity of the prince. She had also seen the festivities on the ship, knew where he came from, and where his kingdom lay. Come, little sister, the other princesses said, and with their arms round each at their shoulders, they rose in a long row out of the sea in front of the palace, where they knew the prince's palace lay. It had been built of a light yellow, gleaming type of stone, with large marble staircases. One went straight down to the sea. Magnificent gilt domes rose up above the roof, and between the columns that went round the building, there were marble statues that looked as if they were alive. Through the clear glass in the tall windows, one could glimpse the most magnificent halls that were hung with the precious silk curtains and tapestries. And all the walls were adorned with large paintings that were a sheer joy to look at. In the middle of the largest hall, there was a large fountain. Its jets shooting up towards the glass dome in the ceiling, through which the sun shone on the water and on the lovely plants growing in the large pool. Now she knew where he lived, and she went there many an evening and night on the water. She swam much closer to the lamb than any of the others had dared. She even went up right to the narrow canal, under the magnificent marble balcony that cast a long shadow over the water. There she sat and gazed at the young prince, who thought he was completely alone in the bright moonlight. Many evenings, she saw him sail about with music in his magnificent boat, with his fluttering flags. 
she peeped out through the green bushes. And if the wind caught her silver-white veil and anyone saw it, they thought it was a swan lifting its wings. Many a night, when the fishermen were out at sea with their blazing torches, she heard them say many good things about the young prince. And it pleased her that she had saved his life when he was drifting half-dead on the waves. And how she had kissed him then. He knew nothing about that, and he couldn't even dream about her. She came to like human beings more and more, and wished more and more to be able to rise up above them. Their world seemed so much bigger than hers, for they could fly across the ocean on ships, climb high mountains way above the clouds, and the countries they owned stretched with their forests and fields farther than the eye could see. There were so much she wanted to know, but her sisters could not answer everything. So she asked her old grandmother, and she was familiar with the higher world, which is the what she called the lands above the sea. When humans do not drown, the little mermaids asked, can they stay alive forever? Don't they die like we do here down in the sea? Oh yes, the old woman said, they too have to die, and their lives are even shorter than ours are. We can live until 300 years old, but when we cease to exist, we become foam on the water. Do not even have a grave down here among our dear ones. We do not have an immortal soul. We will never live again. We are like the green bushes. We have been severed. They cannot go green again. Humans, on the other hand, have a soul that lives forever, lives even after the body has become earth. It rises up to the clear sky, to all the shining stars. Just as we rise up to the surface of the sea and see the lands of the humans, they rise up to the unknown lovely places, those we will never get to see. Why did we never get an immortal soul, the little mermaid asked sadly. I would give up all the 300 years I have just to live to be a human being for one day, and then be part of the heavenly world. You mustn't spend your time thinking of these things here, the old woman said. We have a much happier and better life than the human beings up there. So I am to die and float like foam on the sea, not hear the music of the waves, see the lovely flowers in the red sun? Is there nothing I can do to gain an eternal soul? No, the old woman said. Only if a human were to fall in love with you, that you were more to him than his mother and father. If all his thoughts and love were centered on you, and he let the priest palace his right hand and yours, to be faithful now and all in eternity. Only then would his soul flow over into your body, and you would partake in human happiness. He would give you a soul, and yet retain his own. But that can never happen. For what is so lovely here in the ocean? Your fish's tail. They find ugly up there on earth. They don't understand it at all. Their one has two half 
clumsy props that they call legs in order to be considered beautiful or handsome. Then the little mermaid sighed and looked sadly at her fish's tail. Let's be content, the old woman said. Let's jump and leap in the 300 years we have to live in. That's quite a long time after all. And then one can even more contentedly rest in one's grave. This evening there is to be a court ball. It was also more magnificent than anything ever seen on earth. The walls and ceiling of the great dance hall were thick of clear glass. Several hundred huge mussel shells, rosy red and green as grass, stood in rows on the other side of the blue burning fire that lit up the entire hall and gleamed out through the walls so that the sea right outside could look quite illuminated. One could see all the innumerable fish, great and small, that swam towards the glass wall. On some of them, the scales were a purple red. On others, they seemed to be a silver gold. A broadly running stream ran through the middle of the hall, and on it, mermen and mermaids danced to their own beautiful singing. The humans on earth did not have such beautiful voices. The little mermaid sang the most beautifully of them all, and they applauded her, and for a moment she felt happy in her heart, for she knew that she had the loveliest voice of anyone on earth and in the sea. But soon she began to think once more of the world above her. She could not forget the handsome prince and her sorrow at not owning, as he did, an immortal soul. So she slipped away from her father's palace, and while everything was singing and enjoyment inside, she sat out on her own little garden and was sad. Then she heard French horns sounding down through the water, and she thought, now he is not sailing. The one who I love more than father and mother, the one who fills all my thoughts in whose hand I wish to place all my life's happiness. I will risk anything to win him and an immortal soul. While my sisters are dancing inside my father's palace, I will go to the sea witch. I've always been so afraid of her, but perhaps she can advise and help me. Now the little mermaid left her garden and went towards the roaring whirlpools behind which the witch lived. She had never gone that way before. No flowers grew there, no seagrass, only the bare, gray, sandy bottom stretched towards the whirlpools, where the water, like roaring mill wheels, whirled round and tore everything they caught hold of down with it into the deeps. She had to pass between these crushing, whirling masses of water to get to the region of the sea witch. And here there was quite some distance, no other way than over the hot, bubbling mud the witch called her peat bog. Behind it lay in the house in the middle of the strange forest. All the trees and shrubs were polyps, half animal and half plant. They looked like snakes, like hundreds of heads growing out of the earth. All the branches were long, slimy arms with fingers like worms and joint by joint they moved from their root to the outermost tip. Everything in the sea they could catch hold of they twined round tightly and never could let it go again. 
The little mermaid remained standing quite terrified out there. Her heart pounded with fear. She could almost turn back, but then she thought of the prince and the human soul, and that gave her courage. She bound her long, fluttering hair around her head so the polyps couldn't grab hold of it, and folded both her hands over her chest and flew. As fish can fly through the water, and among the horrible polyps which stretched out their arms and fingers after her, she saw that wherever they had seized something, hundreds of small arms held it with bands of seal. Humans who perished at sea and sunk down to the depths peeped out from the pulp's arms as wet skeletons. They held on to ships, parts, skeletons of land animals, and a little mermaid they had caught and strangled. That was seemed to her to be almost dreadful. She now came to the large slimy place in which the forest were the large fat water snakes tumbled and showed their creepy white-yellow stomachs. In the middle of this clearing, a house had been built out of white bones of shipwrecked human beings. There was sea witch sat, allowing a toad to eat from her mouth, just as human allow a small canary to eat sugar. The horrible fat water snakes she called her small chickens, and she let them travel around on her. I know what you want, all right, the sea witch said. It's very dumb of you, but you shall have it, even so, for it will bring you great misfortune, my lovely princess. You want to get rid of your fish's tail and to have two props instead to go around on just like human beings so that the young prince can fall in love with you, and you can have him an immortal soul. And just then, the witch cackled so loudly and horribly that the toad and the grass snakes fell to the ground and tossed around there. You've come at precisely the right time, the witch said. Tomorrow, when the sun rises, I couldn't have helped you before another year had passed. I will prepare you a drink. Before the sun rises, you must swim with it where there is land. Sit down on the shore and drink it. Then your tail will split and contract into what humans call a nice pair of legs. But it will hurt you. As if a sharp sword passed through you. Everyone who sees you will say you are the loveliest human child they have ever seen. You will keep your floating walk. No dancer can float as you can. But each step you take will be like treading on a sharp knife that made your blood flow. Are you prepared to suffer all this? For then I will help you. Yes, the little mermaid said with a trembling voice, and she thought of the prince and of winning an immortal soul. But remember this, the witch said. Once you have assumed human form, you can never become a mermaid again. 
You can never dive down through the water to your sister's and to your father's palace. And if you do gain the love of the prince, so that he forgets his father and mother for you, unless you fill all his thoughts, and he lets the place your hands in each other's, so that you become man and wife, you will not gain an immortal soul. The first morning after he was married someone else, your heart will break, and you will become foam on the water. This is my wish. The little mermaid said and was deathly pale. But you must also pay me, the witch said, and what I'm asking for is no trifle. You have the loveliest voice of all of those on the seabed, and you count on enticing him with it. But that voice you must give to me. I must have the best thing you own for my precious drink. I must give you of my own blood for the drink so that it must be as sharp as a double-edged sword. But if you take my voice, the little mermaid said, what am I left with? Your beautiful appearance, the witch said, your floating walk and your eloquent eyes, with those you're sure to captivate a human heart. Well, have you lost your courage? Make sure to sign the contract and you shall have your powerful drink. So be it, the little mermaid said, and the witch fetched her cauldron to boil the magic potion. Cleanliness is next to godliness, she said. She said, and scoured the inside of it with the grass snakes, which she bound into a knot, Thus she made a deep scratch and let the blood drip down. The steam formed into the strangest shapes that were scarring and frightening. Every second, the witch added new things to the cauldron, and when it boiled away, as it was if a crocodile was crying. Finally, the drink was ready. It looked like the clearest water. There it is, the witch said, and now the mermaid was mute unable to sing or speak. If the polyp should seize you as you pass in my forest on your way back, just throw a simple drop of this drink on them and their arms and fingers will burst into thousands of pieces. But the mermaid had no need of this, as the polyps retreated in fear when they saw she was carrying the gleaming drink that she sewed in her hands, as if it was a twinkling star. So she soon came through the forest, the bog, and the roaring whirlpools. She could see her father's palace. The lambs had been put out in a large dance hall. They were surely all asleep inside, but she did not dare to try and find them, now that she could not speak and would be leaving them forever. It felt as if her heart would break from sorrow. She stole into the garden and took one flower from each of her sister's flower beds and sent thousands of finger kisses towards the palace and rose up through the dark blue waters. The sun had not yet appeared when she saw the prince's palace and went up to the magnificent marble staircase. The moon shone wonderfully clearly. 
The Little Mermaid down the fiery drink, and it was as if a two-edged sword went right through her body. She fainted and lay as if she was dead. When the sun was shining over the sea, she woke up and felt a significant pain. But right in front of her, the handsome young prince was standing. He fixed his jet black eyes on her, so she lowered hers and saw that a fish's tail was gone, and that she had the most attractive small legs that anyone could have. But she wrapped herself in long blankets. The prince asked who she was and how she had come to be there. And she looked at him so gently and so sorrowfully, but with her dark blue eyes. For she could not speak, you see. Then he took her by the hand and led her into the palace. Every step she took was, as the witch said to her earlier, was as if she was treading on pointed needles and sharp knives. But she put up with this gladly, with the prince's hand holding hers, she rose as light as a silk bubble, and he and everyone else was marveled at her elegant floating walk. She was dressed in priceless clothes of silk. She was the most beautiful of all those in the palace, but she was unable to sing or speak. The other girls in the palace, dressed in silk and gold, came forward and sang for the prince and his royal parents. A song more beautiful than all the others. And the prince clapped his hands and smiled at her. Then the little mermaid felt sad, for she knew that she herself would have sung more beautifully. She thought, If only he knew that in order to be with him I had given away my voice for all eternity. Now the girls danced graceful, floating dances to the loveliest music. And the little mermaid lifted her beautiful arms, raised herself on one tiptoe, and floated across the floor, danced as no one had ever danced before. And her every movement, her loveliness became more apparent, and her eyes spoke more profoundly to the heart than that of the singing of the girls. Everyone was enchanted by this, particularly the prince, who called her his little princess. And she danced more and more through every time her foot touched the ground. It was as if she was treading on sharp knives. The prince said that she was to be with him always, and she was allowed to sleep on the velvet cushion.